the vision of our church here at G2 is to help people discover and follow Jesus Christ. And we don't do it. As far as I'm concerned, we don't do it. (laughs) We don't do it often enough anyway. I think what we do is we are good uh, as a church. We, We could say G2's vision is to help people talk about God and think about church. We're good talkers, we're good philosophers and discussers. But I want to talk today about whether we're good at making disciples that will go for the long haul. Because this is a description of discipleship, helping people discover and follow Jesus Christ. Discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, A couple of years ago, Probably about four years ago, I spoke at an event, uh, and there's quite a lot of people there, and someone, as a result of hearing what I said, liked the idea of Fusion, which is the organization, the charity I work for. Uh, This lady was called Sally Pidd. I just thought she had a good name. So Sally Pidd um, set up a standing order to give to Fusion regularly, because she thought it was good what we were doing. Um, I was grateful for that and so I thought well I'll keep her in contact with what I'm doing Uh, and so we'd had some email contact but I'd never actually met this woman face to face she just heard me speak at something Um, it turns out she's a a 70 year old retired doctor who lives in Lancaster so when I was on fusion work in Lancaster I got in touch and said could we meet up and she's brilliant so we met uh, at the top if you've been to Lancaster it kind of goes the main street sort of goes down a hill and um, just as we met up, it started raining, like the heavens basically just opened. It started pouring down. Um, and I didn't have an umbrella. But Sally, as a 70-year-old lady, had a little old lady umbrella. You know how little old ladies have little old lady umbrellas? I'm used to having a big sort of golf umbrella. She had this, one of these little ones. So she says, that's all right, just huddle under here. So anyway, so we did. So we're kind of like going down this high street. And I had smart shoes on with no grip. And so I started slipping. So I had to, like, grab onto her. And it's just this ridiculous scene. Anyway, we very quickly became good friends. Um, so we had a coffee together. Uh, and my main question that I really wanted to ask her, and I often want to ask this of people uh, who are maybe in the second half of their life, if they're still going for it with Jesus, is why are you still passionate about Jesus? Why, what stopped you getting bored? What stopped you getting cynical? What stopped you getting tired of religion and, you know, just sick of it, basically? Why are you still passionate? And she said, well, a, a number of different things, but she said it's a long obedience in the same direction. And she said, I assume you've read that book. So I said, no, which is always, you know, an older person says, I assume you've done this. And you feel you need to go, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. But I hadn't. So she said, you should definitely read it. So I read this book. It's by Eugene Peterson, who's the guy that wrote the message, or he did that uh, translation or whatever it's called. That's not a translation of the Bible, uh, a revised version or whatever it is. So he wrote that, and then he's written A Long Obedience in the Same Direction and tons of other books. He's one of those characters. So I read this book, and it's absolutely fantastic. I found it really, really helpful, and I think it speaks directly into what we need to hear as G2, but also really what a lot of us need to hear in our own lives about following Jesus, about what it means to really follow Jesus for the long haul. 
that it is a long obedience in the same direction. And she kind of had me at the title. I just liked it as soon as I heard the title. And something in me just deeply knew this is probably going to be really good for me to hear this. And I think it is really good for us. Um, I've given away probably about eight copies of this book so far, and I've got two more to give away today. If you look under your seats, you might have a footprint. Is anyone going to have a footprint? Do we have any winners? First winner over there. Second winner over there. There we go. In that case, you can have this one, which is like the modern copy. There you go. You better catch it. Oh, straight in the eyeball. And there was one over there, wasn't there? That's a slightly older version. What this book basically gets at is that following Jesus uh, and this whole discipleship walk is in some regards simple. It's a simple thing, but it's hard. It's hard. It's difficult. It's a long obedience in the same direction. We, it might be simple, but we kind of overcomplicate it as a church. We, we kind of think we need, di- we need diversity and variety. Um, and we do in some regards, in the way we do church, of course, things like that. But in some ways, we don't need variety in our discipleship. We just need more depth. We need more long service, more long-sightedness. But in order to obey, we also need to trust. You can't obey somebody unless you trust them, that they're going to give you good instructions. And God gives us good instructions on how to live life, right throughout the narrative of Scripture, right throughout the Christian heritage of the church, there's good instruction on how to live life, um, and we can trust it. We can certainly trust God. Um, Every evening, I sing to my lads, uh, and I sing various different Bible songs that my mum used to sing to me, um, and one of them is Trust and Obey, and I absolutely love singing that to them, um, because because it sums up something of the simplicity of this discipleship walk. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And I say to them, we trust Jesus because we believe what God says. And we obey Jesus because we want to do what God says. We believe what he says and we do what he says. And those two things are inextricably linked. But obedience needs kind of looking at. So we're going to look at various bits of this discipleship is along obedience in the same direction. Firstly, we're going to look at obedience. I don't know if you remember a while ago, I wore a load of suits, uh, a different suit each day and put a different picture on on Facebook. And the whole thing was about marriage. And I was praying for different mates of mine that were married. And a lot of people, mainly Christians, said, "What what do you hope to get out of it? What's the end product? What are you hoping you'll achieve? That was what they wanted to know. And my response was, I don't really know what I'll achieve. I'm doing this because... I felt I'm being obedient. I felt God say to do it. And I don't, I don't know if he did or not, but I sensed, I sensed he gave me the idea. I had the idea whilst I was praying for my mates who were married, and it felt congruent to me and to the spirit that it was a kind of a God thing. So I thought, all right, then I'll do it, as opposed to, well, it's an idea, but I'll chuck it out. I thought, I'll do it. So I thought, I'll be obedient. And I gave it to God as an idea. I said, well, I'll do this thing. Use it, please. And I'm sure he did in many ways that I will never see. So in terms of us thinking about the fruit of what we do uh, and what, why I was doing that, what am I going to achieve out of it? I don't really know. And often in our discipleship walk, out of our obedience, we don't know what the fruit is going to be. And that's why we've got to trust that God is going to bring good things out of it. 
But obedience is not really a popular word. It makes us think of like naughty children being told to shut up and obey their parents or something. Um, We don't really like it. We think, well, we know better. I don't want to obey. I want to have it my own way. Um, I can remember, I've always been a bit rebellious. So uh, when I was a little kid, probably four, um, my parents went out for dinner and my great uncle Francis was babysitting. Was a slight, I've got many eccentric relatives, and he was right up there. Anyway, he was babysitting, and uh, he s- said, no more sweets, You've got, and it was time for bed. So I knew I wasn't allowed sweets. Anyway, gone to bed. He, he then shouts up, Luke, is there something going on? Because he could hear me, like, padding about upstairs. Nope. Says, have, have you got any sweets up there? No. <laughs> no. So he comes upstairs because he could tell something was up and he could hear a little clink under the duvet and he pulls the duvet back and I had the whole sugar bowl and I was just spooning it straight in. (laughs) So I'm familiar to rebellion. Um, But I was also a rebellious teenager. I ran away uh, from home in in the most pathetic way, really. Um, it wasn't a very long-lasting instance, but basically, my dad said, I was probably 16, my dad went, you've been out a lot this week, you can't go out again tonight. You've got to stay in, you need a night in, you've got work to do, you've, you can't go out tonight. And I said, I am going out tonight, because I've made arrangements, I'm going out tonight. And he said, you can't go out tonight. And you can imagine that went back and forwards for a, a few hours. Eventually, I said, I am now going out you can't stop me, see you later. And I did go out, and I just stayed at a mate's house. I didn't tell him where I was. And then in the morning, I phoned my mum and went, just so I know I'm okay, but I'm not telling where I am. And, <laughs> and by the evening, I came home and went, sorry, <laughs> I shouldn't, shouldn't have done that. So that was my sort of pathetic, rebellious running away. But I know that it's in my nature to rebel, because I think I know best. And it really is in our human nature to rebel one way or another, because we think we know best. But we can obey God because he is a good, good father who we can trust. Uh, my kids, when I take them to school, um, we take them to school. They can both ride proper bikes. and we, So we, they kind of go on the pavement, but you are across the road a few times. We cycle on the road. And it's hair-raising stuff because the cars come around pretty quick. And it is just, it's a little bit mental. Um, but, so I tell them, you've got to listen to me. Listen to my voice. If I say stop, you've got to stop. I won't tell you to stop for a laugh. I'll only tell you to stop if there's a lorry that might run you over. So you definitely got to stop if I say that, okay? And they get it. And pretty much, give or take, they do. They're pretty good. But they do that because they know they can trust me. And we can trust God because he's a good father. Um, We have also not just got, we don't just hear about God and we kind of go, all right, I believe in God, all right, I'll trust him and then try and figure out some sort of voice as to what God is saying. We've got this whole narrative of Scripture, this entire collection of stories of people who've either been obedient or disobedient to God. So when we read, that's why it's so important that we read that narrative backwards and forwards, so we totally know how humans relate to God and how they figure out how to make good and wise decisions. Um, in a few weeks' time, uh, Hannah's going to be doing a talk on how to make good decisions, how we do that using the Bible. And some of the stuff that she'll talk about is similar to this, because throughout the Bible, we're given all these examples that we can borrow from um, and learn for how, on how to make really good decisions. But a lot of Christians today 
don't really know their Bible. I'm, I don't know it anywhere near as much as I would like to. And I, I think probably some of you would be a bit similar, where you'd say, oh, yeah, probably. I bet you don't know it as well as your grand did if she was a Christian. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? People back in the day did know their Bibles much better than people do today. They're much more connected to that narrative of God and, the, and humans' obedience or disobedience in that Line. So whether it's Jonah in the belly of a whale or whether it's the Israelites making an idol just as God's giving Moses the Ten Commandments or whether it's Joshua being obedient and doing this strange kind of lap of Jericho making loads of bizarre noise at the end, whatever it is, or maybe the crazy prophets doing some really odd things because they sent God's voice saying, do it, and they did it. Discipleship's a long obedience in the same direction. But we live without that inherited memory. If we do that, it's pretty tricky to know how to make good decisions. A Christian who has David in his bones and Jeremiah in his bloodstream and Paul at his fingertips and Christ in his heart knows the importance or lack of the importance to how he's feeling right now. For some Christians who are around today uh, who really don't know all this stuff, it's, it's about as helpful as... Uh, saying that you're going to take an opinion poll of how the nation's going to vote just by asking one person how they feel in the last 10 minutes. It's not a great poll. It's not a great way of figuring out where we're at. Mature obedience keeps us rooted in the security of the past while we can then stretch forward to the future. Obedience keeps us on the straight and narrow without it being boring or mediocre. Because there's nothing mediocre about God. A Christian who is afraid of making decisions and does nothing is just like a statue. A Christian who is trying to make decisions right and just leaps about all over the place making all sorts of crazy decisions is just irresponsible. And what we need is obedience, which is the strength to stand and the willingness to leap and the sense to know when to do which. Discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, there's a passage in Luke 6, 43 to 49, which I'll put on the screen for you. You can't really see that small bit, can you? Because I just wanted to bring out a few bits. Um, we did a little series a while ago, this is quite a few years ago at G2, called Mean Jesus, which is about all the harsh things that Jesus says. You know, all the, all the things when Jesus says something, and, and if it was today, there'd be a group of people going, oh, um, it's like, that's, pretty, that's a hard hitter. So this is kind of one of those passages. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is like this this is Jesus drawing a direct correlation between people listening to him and believing him and talking about Jesus and not putting it into practice in their lives. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When the flood came 
A torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it, because it was built well. The one who hears my words but does not put them into practice is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Jesus is really directly saying to people, because he's teaching people all the time, and loads of people are drawn to him, gathered to him. Listen to this guy, knows what he's on about. He doesn't like the Romans, or whatever. People are drawn in with all sorts of things. I think this guy might be, there might be a revolution. Let's go and listen to him. And there's lots of people drawn in. And then he says to them, unless you actually do what I say, you're going to end up in ruin. Your life will be ruined. So if we today are looking to help people discover and follow Jesus Christ, we have to be putting into practice what he did. Okay, let's take a moment. Dan, do you want to come and sing? Dan's going to sing Trust and Obey over us. Um, and I'd like you to take a moment. Uh, we'll just have a couple of minutes whilst we do this. Listen to these words and also just pause and think about what I've said so far. Perhaps something struck you so far of what I've said. Maybe it was about reading the Bible more. Maybe it was about um, your own relationship to a good father. Can you, is there something in you that kind of an alarm bell goes off when you hear the word obedience and you don't like it? You don't want to be obedient. And, and maybe today something's going to shift for you and you're willing to say, actually, I don't want to be obedient to my parents maybe, but I want to be obedient to a good father who knows something could be happening for you so this is just a moment for you to respond to whatever God's been doing within you while Dan sings this over the top of us trust and obey for there's no happy in Jesus but to trust and obey Oh, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey Trust and obey For there's no other way To be happy in Jesus But to trust and obey Trust and obey For there's no other way To be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. This uh, discipleship walk is a long obedience in the same direction. And that's difficult for us to take. We don't like things having to take a long time. Um, whenever Aaron, our little son, eats an apple, he always gets into the middle bit, finds a pip, says, let's plant it, and then we'll have an apple tree. But his perspective is, we'll have an apple tree next week, which we can then eat apples from, and then we don't have to buy any apples. Um, 
But we're like that too, aren't we? We want good things to happen really soon. And, and our culture is an instant society. So a long obedience in the same direction goes against the grain of how our society says things should be. We watch programs where people rise to instant fame, and we like the idea of that. God is in it for the long term, though. He's in it for the long haul. So we don't like the idea that things are hard to come by, good things are hard to come by, uh, or that we've got to work hard at them. That Miriam was telling me recently there's a little tagline that people in their 20s are using, which is called do hard things or something. Is it like a hashtag, do hard things, something like that. I've probably not listened properly. Anyway, uh, sorry. Um, but, but people kind of get it. They kind of get that they ought to. And I think when we watch the, the, uh, the marathon, we get that, don't we? We get that people have worked really hard for that, that sort of a thing. Um, so uh, n- nowadays, people are al- it's almost like uh, there is a spiritual tourism. And I think uh, we can be like that G2. We can, the, each of us here can be spiritual tourists in one kind of a way. Um, there's a, a great little passage in this book which says this. People go to special churches, special services, a weekly jaunt to church, or even an annual retreat to a conference or a rally to hear the latest speaker or experience the latest spiritual sensation. And when I read that, I thought, oh, wow, that absolutely slices through the heart of where so many of us are at and how we often do our spirituality. We don't need spiritual tourists. We need disciples and we need pilgrims. Christian's job as the leader of G2 is not as a spiritual tour guide. He's not here to walk us through all the tenets of faith and all the uh, sacraments like a tour guide and just explain them all. And so we've got lots of information and we can move on like a little tourist group with one of those earpieces in, listening to a translation that makes sense to us. That's not, that's not his job. His job is to uh, uh, help us on our journey, make sure that we as a church are helping us on our journey uh, towards Jesus. Because it is a journey. We are pilgrims and not tur- tourists. It is a long obedience in the same direction. We're going somewhere. We're people who are going somewhere. Um, we've used, uh, as Fusion, we've used uh, the thing of pilgrims not tourists when we've done escape and pray so we're about to do our third escape and pray and some of you will know what that is here and some of you might not um and what it is is a thing that mainly students do anyone can do it um, and we send people out with pretty much no money uh, for a couple of days to a european city to go and pray uh, just like jesus did with disciples in luke 10 so we do that we send people out but one of the key instructions is we say to them, don't go like tourists. You can go on a city break to Prague if you want to. That's not what this is. This, you're going as a pilgrim. You're going as a prayer. You're going to prepare the way. Jesus tells you how to go. You know, wherever you're welcomed, uh, stay there. Let your peace go on that house. Um, explain that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's close. Good things are on the way. Jesus is coming. So go like that, basically. Go and talk about stuff like that. But you don't need to go and do all the touristy things. But it's quite a good picture for how we can often operate um, in our life as well. When you're going about your life, are you constantly just thinking about what next thing is going to be most interesting to you? Or are you thinking, as a long-term disciple of Jesus, 
What's the next thing I'm going to discover on this discipleship journey? Who's the next person that's going to uh, be part of my journey towards Jesus? And how can I help somebody else on their spiritual journey, on their pilgrimage? Um, a couple of years ago, I helped a mate do the York Half Marathon. So I've never done a marathon. I've done a, a couple of half marathons. I've never done a marathon, and I didn't particularly want to train for it. But I said, I reckon I can do 15. I've done 13 miles. I can do 15 miles fairly easily. So I'll do the middle 15 with you. So I just, like, nipped in. Um, they, they did the start, the big launch and everything, and then it comes past our house, and I just sort of nipped in at that point. Um, and... Um, ran that middle 15 and then thought, right, I better stop now. And I'd, I'd stashed a bike in a hedge at mile 15. So at that point, I just went, right, Chris, have a great run. See you later. And then I got on my bike and went to see him at the finish line. Um, but there's a few things I noticed when you do a marathon or when you do one of these runs that just strikes you as really extraordinary. One of them is, uh, the, in fact, I think it might have even been the previous year when we watched it come past our house, and you see that the first people come past where it's pretty much their job or their main thing in life, and they go back incredibly quickly, maybe sort of five of them. And then there's like no one for quite a long time. And then you start to get people that are pretty fit and so on that are coming past. Then there's a great pile of people, loads of people, and then it starts to tail off a bit with people who are really, you know, not doing so great. And our house is at mile three. And at mile three, the first time we watched this happen, there was a lady running past, and she, she was not fit. I mean, you may have seen this happen. She was really not in good shape. And I'm thinking, you've entered a marathon. What are you doing? And she eventually, about a mile after that, had to get taken up by the car. You know, there's a sort of sweeper car, and if, you, if you're not quicker than that, then they just sort of scoop you up. Um, anyway, that happened to her. So... But you, you just think, what are you doing? She has approached this not in the right way. She has approached the training to it or doing it not, not in a sensible way, not as if it's a long journey. Uh, Chris and I ran with a steady pace. We were doing okay. I was taking on energy uh, gels and also plenty of liquids. I thought Chris was doing the same. He wasn't, and I don't know quite why. We've talked about it many times. He trained with one of those sort of camel pack things and drank out of that. And then on the day, he decided, oh, just grab a bottle. So he did it differently on the day to how he trained. Don't know why. Anyway, we got to... So I then cycled, ready for the finish line, the bottom of Uni Hill. And so he's then got to run all the way down Hull Road, gets to the bottom of Uni Hill, and then it's a killer of a finish. Goes up Uni Hill from Hull Road, and then just down and over the top, finishes near the library. And... Uh, he was at the bottom of that hill. I was waiting for him for ages, thinking, if he's on pace, he'll be here now. And 10 minutes later, he still hadn't turned up. Then he, then he turned up all of a sudden. And it, I'm not kidding, he looked like an absolute drunkard. He was across the road like this. He was all over the shop. And uh, he eventually ended up collapsing on Uni Hill. And I'm going, seriously, it's like so nearly there. You're, this is, you've run such a long way. You're about less than half a mile from the finish. And he's going, I can't do it. Can't do it. I haven't got anything left. You can do it. You can do it. So I like squirted a bit of energy drink into his face and it kind of perked him up a little bit. And after about maybe six minutes on the floor or something, he got, he got up and then we staggered a little bit further. And then I got him like over one shoulder and his wife was over the other shoulder and he's kind of like this. And we got going again and then uh, his wife left because he had his kids there and everything. So she had to go back to them. So I had him like this and we, I basically jogged him over the line. 
uh, and he finished collapsed and then was in the medical tent for ages. But he finished it. So it's a long obedience in the same direction, this discipleship thing. It's like, a, it's like running a marathon, isn't it? It's a long way. Um, the Bible talks about us being disciples and pilgrims. Those are like the two words, really, that the Bible uses over and over again in terms of what it means to be a, a somebody who follows God. We're disciples and we're pilgrims. Those are two words that are useful to us when we think about how we live our Christian life. Being a disciple comes from the word methetes, and it means to spend our lives apprenticed to Jesus, watching what he does and putting it into practice. And we're pilgrims from parapodemos because it means um, that uh, we're people who are going somewhere. We're on a journey. There is a finish line. There is somewhere that is uh, where we're going. I guess we're going to our father's house um, in the long run. But on the, in the meantime, we're on a journey of a load of other people coming into our lives um, and we could invite them on that same journey. So if you're following Jesus today, you're going somewhere. It's not a static belief. Believing in Jesus is not a stationary thing. You're going somewhere. In Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Because we're running this race with perseverance, this long obedience in the same direction, but it goes against the grain of our society. It doesn't come easily, and we want it to. So my question is, are you in for this? Essentially, discipleship is difficult. There are really hard moments in life. It's a long journey. It's brutal. It might hurt. Most people will give up, actually. Jesus says that. It will probably happen. Will that happen to you? What are you doing to stop that happening? To mean you will persevere. It might cost you your reputation, your honor, your pride, your money. But the prize is everything. It's totally worth paying. Being fully adopted into the family of the king so that he treats you as a trusted member of his royal court, of Jesus' royal court, to be, at his, to be his hands and feet on this earth, the bringers of his kingdom of heaven on this earth. So are you in for a long obedience in the same direction? If you want to come up, uh, if the band could come up, that would be great. Um, and we're going to respond in a few different ways. Um, but first of all, we have a bunch of feet, which you'll have seen all around the room. There's a long obedience in what looks like, to me, very many strange and wonderful directions. <laughs> um, but we've also got some feet down here. So we're going to put them here, and, and I'd like to invite everybody to come and get one of those feet. We'll put them on probably my chair lectern. Um, come and get one of those feet, and then on it, scribble something down. There's pens here as well, so you might have your own pen, but you can grab a pen if you haven't got one. Write something down about how, what you're wanting to take away from what you've heard. How do you want to respond it might be something about the narrow way and the broad road. 
It might be something about the word obedience. It might be something about being a spiritual tourist. It could be something about being rooted in the Bible. It could be something about the long-term nature of your disciple. You might have just become a Christian recently, but you would not quite clocked how long-term this thing is. It might be something about the cost of following Jesus, which you're willing to pay. So it could be any number of different things, and the band are going to play whilst we do that, and then we're going to worship together as well. In order for this to work... We don't have church wardens at G2. If we did, they'd just tell us all when to come. Uh, we'll have to figure it out, and I'm sure we'll be able to do it. So if you're on the end of a row, it probably means you might have to sort of like be the first to go. Anyway, I'll leave it up to you. So let, do you want to stand up now? And um, if you guys want to start playing, then that'd be great. And then let's file out in rose, I guess. Uh, I'll pray. Father, thank you uh, for your presence with us right now. We trust you and we do want to be obedient to you. We want to know more of that. We want to go in the direction of trusting you. We want to be a people as G2 who are in it for the long haul, who are making disciples of people that want to be apprenticed to you, Jesus people who want to watch what you do and do it today, put it in practice, to live the gospel out. But it's difficult to do it. So let's take this moment. You offer your moment up to God. Let it be between you and him. So come and get your feet.